0: What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA member FDIC. Hello and welcome to season four, episode 35 of the Manchester United Weekly Podcast. My name is Jack Tate. Back with another episode for you this week as we look ahead to one of the biggest games in recent memory at Old Trafford on Wednesday against Barcelona in the quarterfinal of the UEFA Champions League. We'll also, of course, be having our usual youth, loan, and women's roundup, answering a few questions from you guys on Twitter. But before we get to any of that, let's look back at a massively disappointing 2-1 defeat to Wolves at Molyneux last Tuesday. As the game started against Wolves, everything seemed to be going very well. Um to be quite honest, that seems quite, kind of strange saying that after what ended up being such a disappointing result. But we started the game really well. We controlled controlled the tempo. We dictated the game really, really well. Solskjaer made what I thought was a, a very smart tactical change before the game in setting us up with three at the back to counter to counter Wolves after they really hurt us using that system against us earlier this season in the FA Cup. The, the system change seemed to have worked really well. Playing Ashley Young as, as a right centre-back was obviously not ideal um, after Victor Lindelof couldn't couldn't make the game due to uh, family issues, but it, it, it all seemed to be working very well. We controlled the game massively. In midfield, we were a lot more dominant than we were in the FA Cup. Having three at the back and having Young kind of step forward and almost make an extra body in midfield a lot of the time when we were on the ball kind of negated a lot of what Watford had done uh, excuse me not Watford I'm thinking about the FA Cup semi-final negated what a lot of what Wolves had done to us last time when we went to Molyneux a few weeks ago and everything seems to be going well we obviously got the goal through Scott McTominay his first senior goal for United uh, brilliant strike and really capped off what was a brilliant performance by McTominay all night he was one of the few people that performed for the whole 90 minutes and even after the goal, you know, we looked very, very good. We had a couple of chances, one before the goal from Lukaku, um, which he should have buried at the back post. Another header by Lingard that was saved by Patricio. Uh, towards the end of the first half, after Wolves had equalised, Lukaku had another good chance, which just went wide. And we, we were creating very good chances. We realistically should have been 3-0 up before half-time. Um, and all it took was one mistake by Fred, a poor touch from a goal kick from De Gea. Which really was inexcusable. Um, there, there isn't any reason why Fred's touch should be that bad, especially on a very very simple pass uh, back from De Gea. You know, I, I've seen people talking about you know he's not used to to having so much pressure on him in the Premier League and stuff like that. But that was nothing to do with pressure being on him for the goal. That was just a poor touch. I don't care what league you're playing in, that kind of touch from such a simple pass, especially that close to your own goal, is inexcusable, and we were rightly punished. I, the biggest thing that I th- I took away from this game I saw so many people in very unsurprising fashion really overreacting um, against Solskjaer and the tactics that that he put in place and talking about the lineup and things like that but really t- Solskjaer's tactical changes worked actually and for the first half an hour of the game we were totally dominant we negated everything that Wolves had had hurt us with in the FA Cup f- the few weeks before We'd come in with a different system and set up really, really well. We're totally dominant in the game. Should have been at least two, if not three-nil up by the time Wolves um, equalised. And it just comes from an individual mistake. Now, the thing that I took from the game most, after, especially after Wolves equalised, was just the mental fragility in this team at the moment. Now, I don't know where that's really coming from. I don't know whether it's sort of something left over from the Mourinho era. I don't know if it's something that needs to be installed better by Solskjaer. I don't know if it's inherent maybe in the players that we have at the club at the moment. Maybe we don't have the right leaders on the pitch. But whatever it is, this game to me just kind of summed up the mental fragility that we have at the moment. Because as soon as Wolves equalised, we looked completely done in the game. Our confidence was on the floor. We weren't as fluid as we had been before the goal. Because yes, the goal was a setback. But based on how well we had been playing before that and how many chances we'd been creating, how dominant we were, I get that scoring a goal is always, is always a setback. And any of you that have played football know that, you know, it's a psychologically, it is a big blow. But if you've been playing that well and you've been that dominant, the way you respond to a goal like that, you almost have to forget it. You have to put it out of your mind and you have to just accept, OK, you know, something bad has happened, someone made a mistake. It can happen in football. You have to react to that. And if you've been playing that well... Any of you that have been in this situation while playing yourselves will know you have to just put it out of your mind and trust that the way that you've been playing will be enough to kind of get you through the rest of the game. Because we had been so so dominant before then, and there is no reason why our reaction to that goal should have been to kind of go into our shell in the way that we did. It, it was a bizarre reaction to, yes, yeah, some hardship, but not. It wasn't any. It wasn't anything that should have made us go into our shell like that. It was one goal. It wasn't as if, at least not at that point, we were down to 10 men and it was going to be something that was going to ha- harm us for the rest of the game. You know, it was easily recoverable from that position. And yet we just didn't respond in in the right way at all until halftime. We were kind of all over the place. Wolves were getting a foothold in the game. Coming out of halftime, we did improve a little bit. Um, we looked like we were, again, getting some dominance back, but it wasn't anything like the level that we saw in the first half. And then obviously the sending off of Ashley Young, killed us really and I to be honest with you it was 100% the correct decision by Mike Dean um, obviously ended up being his 100th red card in the Premier League which I thought was quite funny um, Mike Dean would, would be the person with uh, 100 red cards in the Premier League That was that was a body blow not going to lie it was a body blow to us at the time of the game where it came when you know things were on a knife edge really and young getting sending off, sent off not only disrupted obviously our rhythm we had to make a sub to uh, to compensate for that which stopped us being able to change as much in the game later on and obviously it just meant that we were so fatigued but even even with 10 men we were still playing okay we were still creating chances uh and then the absolute calamity that was Wolves second goal i mean there's no other word for it in my mind. It was a joke. The defending and the goalkeeping for that, that goal is a joke. Smalling, Jones, De Gea are all massively at fault. I mean, Phil Jones's header was terrible in the first place. And what Chris Smalling and David De Gea are doing, I honestly couldn't tell you. It's just terrible from both of them, letting the, trying to let the other person do it. De Gea turns his back inexplicably. I, I don't understand what was going through his head then. As a goalkeeper, in that I'm a centre-back in real life and if I'm in that situation I want my goalkeeper to come out and take charge of that situation I want him to be diving headfirst into that ball I want him to be taking charge in that situation because realistically it should have been De Gea's ball in my mind having said that though it doesn't excuse the part that Smalling played in that because even though I would have wanted my goalkeeper to come and take charge of it if I wasn't sure about anything you clear that thing as far away as you can I don't care what David De Gea should be doing. If I'm Chris Smalling in that situation and I'm unsure of whether De Gea is coming out for that, I swing a boot and get that ball as far away as I can. You can talk about communication and you can talk about you know who should have got it afterwards, but get the ball as far away from the goal as you possibly can. It's It's very simple defending. It wasn't a particularly genius attack from Wolves, it was very simple, it was a cross into the box that should have been dealt with the first time by Jones and 100% should have been dealt with the second time by either Smalling or De Gea. It wasn't like Wolves ripped us open at all. That was so, so, so disappointing to concede a goal like that. It's the kind of mistakes that we've managed to avoid under Solskjaer, for large parts anyway, uh, and it's why I, I'm, not, I'm not willing to sit here and criticised Solskjaer massively for that game, because I don't think he could have done much differently. Effectively, what happened in that game is that Solskjaer changed our formation, changed our system to deal with what Wolves had really hurt us with in the FA Cup. He did that very, very well. The system worked, the changes worked, and we were undone by two mistakes for the two goals. Some poor finishing from Lukaku and Lingard, and... Some I think, I think mental fragility after we conceded the first goal that meant that we didn't react in the way that we should have done. So I'm not willing to sit here and on this podcast berate Solskjaer and, and say that this loss is on Solskjaer and we made the wrong decision hiring him and all that stuff that I know people on Twitter are kind of aching to get out all the time. They all just are looking for any excuse to kind of, kind of bash Solskjaer and bash the decision made by the club. And there isn't anything from this game that makes me upset, annoyed, worried about Solskjaer's appointment at all because all of the parts of this game that Solskjaer was instrumental in, I think, worked very well. It was the players on the pitch and the individual mistakes that ended up costing us. And yeah, I've always said, you know, no, no game is totally down to the manager or totally down to the players. And I still stand by that. I said that all along during the Mourinho era as well, that the players and the manager have to always take responsibility. But this loss is far more on the players than on the manager. It was down to individual mistakes, not not a failure of the system and not a failure of the tactics. One person I do just want to touch on very quickly is Paul Pogba. Um, I think we have to talk about the poor form that he's showing. I, I get that there's probably some listeners out there who get annoyed at, at Harry and I constantly kind of having a Paul Pogba love fest at times. Because um, I know he is a very polarising figure for a lot of United fans. And it, at times like this, we have to, it, you know, me, Harry, and I, and obviously myself, at the moment with Harry not being here, we also have to talk about Pogba when he's in bad form, and he is in seriously bad form at the moment. The last three or four weeks have just been unacceptable. That that's that's all it is. It they have been unacceptable. There's no other way for me to 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 put it because his performances have been subpar every single week. I can't I can't think of the exact moment when the performances started going downhill. I want to say it was around weirdly enough the, the the second leg of the PSG game where he obviously didn't play because uh, he was suspended and it seems like after that I don't know whether that affected him or or whatever it is but the the form of Pogba is a massive massive worry at the moment he just isn't contributing anything in our midfield against Wolves there was a couple of nice moments but really it was it was largely very very poor and I think one thing that really summed up the form that he's showing at the moment is right towards the end of the game when we're chasing an equalizer plays a really nice one-two with Martial, kind of got us behind the first line of Wolves' deep block. And when he picks up the ball 25, 30 yards from goal, you're thinking, all right, for now, find another pass like that or spray it wide to Shaw, Darlow and get a cross in the box. And instead, from 30 yards, he takes on a, a frankly ridiculous attempt uh, shot with his left foot that just kind of P-rolls wide. And it, it summed up everything that we've seen from Pogba recently. You know, a few nice touches here and there with, with the nice one-two with Martial... But ultimately, he's just not producing the goods that like he was in the first few weeks of, Sol- of Solskjaer's management. That was the, ma- the major difference under Solskjaer in those first few weeks was the consistency, first of all, but also the end product in terms of goals and assists. And we haven't seen that from him in the last, I would say, month or so now. And it needs to change. It needs to change very, very quickly because we enter now a massive, massive month. There is so much that could change in the last month of the season for us we obviously got a massive boost. I'm recording this on Monday and we got a massive boost yesterday as Everton beat Arsenal uh, 1-0 to kind of keep us in the hunt. We're now only two points behind Spurs and Arsenal um, in third and fourth and ha- all having now played the same amount of games. Because if Arsenal would have won yesterday, would have been five points back on the same amount of games and that would have made it really, really tough. Now, only two points behind. You know, we have some massive games to come and we have to start picking up... We Realistically, I don't think we can drop more than two points until the end of the season if we want to get top four. Ideally, we wouldn't drop any points, but you know that's probably not going to happen. I think if we drop more than two points, we're probably out of contention for the top four. That's how vital this last month is. We cannot afford mistakes like we saw against Wolves. We can't afford slip ups like that anymore. You know, this is it now. This is crunch time. These are the times you kind of live for as a player. And although I kind of hate the fact that I am so engrossed in a top four race because this isn't this isn't what I want to be supporting for United, I don't want to I don't want us to turn into Arsenal of the last ten years, you know, celebrating top four and top four being the be all and end all of our season. So I kind of hate the fact, hate myself for for talking like this, but at this point, top four is the be all and end all of our season. I don't think we're going to get anything out of the Champions League realistically. um, Although who knows. So top four is massively, massively important for us, not only just for for this season, but looking ahead, trying in terms of the the signings that we could possibly make next summer, you know, we have to be in the Champions League. So it's the 8th of April now, as I'm recording this in the next month or so, it's going to define the next probably couple of years of, of this football club, because if we don't get Champions League football, we might struggle in the summer transfer window. Now, speaking of Champions League, let's move away from the Wolves game and look ahead to one of the most exciting games that I can remember at Old Trafford in a long, long time against Barcelona on Wednesday in the Champions League. We all know how we got here uh, and we'd all love to to relive a similar scenario to what happened in the uh, PSG tie in the last 16. Hopefully we can see some, some sort of replication of that on any level, which would be just incredible. Ho- hoping for a much more positive first leg this time around, as much as I enjoyed coming from behind against PSG if we could play a little bit better than that at Old Trafford this time against Barcelona that would be great but I just can't wait for the game I said this on the last episode as well that I don't, I can't remember the last time I've been so excited for a Champions League game PSG was, was big you know I was really excited for that game as well but Barcelona is another level not just because Barcelona are Barcelona you know they are a European giant in the same kind of stature as us and Real Madrid and so just playing them on any any time is amazing. But I think what makes this game even more special for me is that this is the first time we've played them in a competitive two-leg tie since the 2009 and 2011 Champions League finals, which personally I still haven't got over. I don't think I ever will get over them the way that we were kind of played off the park in both of those games. And this is a, an opportunity for a little bit of revenge. Um, obviously wouldn't make up for those two finals, but it would go some way, I think, to to kind of avenging those two awful defeats. Trying to think about the game tactically. I mean, you can't really look past Messi when you're playing Barcelona. That seems like a, a stupid thing to say. It's probably an unnecessary point to bring up. But I mean, the form he's in at the moment is just incredible. He he took Barcelona to another win at the weekend. Uh, and he's he seems like he's at the peak of his powers at the moment. I'll be very, very interested to see if we have a plan specifically for Messi. You know, we've seen teams in the past try and man-mark him. We've seen us try and do that to Hazard before with Herrera against Chelsea during uh, the Mourinho era, where Herrera was tasked with literally just staying with Hazard for 90 minutes. I would be very surprised if we went with a tactic like that, just because it doesn't seem to me like something that Solskjaer would would want to do. And I also don't think that we have a midfielder capable of, of doing that. I mean, to be fair, it's not even just that we don't have a midfielder capable of doing that. I don't think there is... A midfielder or a defender in the world that would be capable of staying with Messi for ninety minutes so i don't I think it's futile to try and do that honestly. I think what we do need to do is we have to try and crowd out space. That is the big thing. I would expect us to sit deep allow Barcelona to have the vast majority of possession and try and hit them on the break, which is is you know probably the only realistic uh, chance that we're going to have of getting something out of this game because as well as we as we've played at times under Solskjaer, Barcelona are a very, very good side and I just don't think we can go toe-to-toe with them and get anything out of the game. We kind of, we saw Solskjaer do kind of similar against PSG, he almost accepted that we weren't going to be able to go toe-to-toe with them. So let them, let them have the ball, try and stay in the game for as long as we can and if we can nick a goal here or there, that's obviously brilliant. The biggest thing with this leg being at home is trying to keep a clean sheet, which is far easier said than done. Um, I, I don't know. I think Barcelona, I don't know the last time Barcelona failed to score, but I think it's been a long time. They've been scoring for fun for a lot of this season, and especially Messi in the form that he's in. It's obviously going to be a massive, massive challenge. But if we can somehow come out of this game with a clean sheet, that would put us in a brilliant position going forward to try and, and get something at, at the new Camp as well. If we can go to the new Camp not behind, whether that's a draw or a win for us at Old Trafford, anything can happen you know i'd always back us over a one one game scenario which it could end up being at the new camp i would always back us to get something out of the game my overriding feelings which i'm sure a lot of you are probably feeling as well is a mix of nerves and excitement at this game because i i am nervous i'm not going to lie you know barcelona are a bloody brilliant team we can't get around that and that makes me really really nervous because they could tear us apart they could, you know, they are good enough to do that if they turn up. But these games are what you live for as a United fan. You know, this is why we want to want to get top four this season. It's because we want games like this on regularly to be played at Old Trafford. This is what the Champions League is all about. I I don't think we're gonna um, we're gonna win the Champions League. I don't think anyone realistically thinks that we're gonna win the Champions League. But that doesn't matter because games like this are what you live for as a fan. This is what you know. What keeps you going as a fan sometimes during all the bad times, you know, through all the bad results that we've had this season. If we could put in a memorable performance against Barcelona, whether that's over one leg or two, you know, that would overshadow so many of the memories that we've got from this season of you know the boring Mourinho days and some of the bad losses we've had recently. Beating Barcelona would be absolutely massive for this club. It would be absolutely huge. I I just can't wait. Here's hoping we can put in a good performance. I would expect us to come out, sit back, try and hit on the counter-attack. Hopefully we don't get 18 injuries again like we did in the first half against PSG at Old Trafford. Um, and I would expect a front three of, of Rashford, Luke, uh, sorry, Rashford, Martial and Lingard if Rashford is fit because he had a little bit of a knock which kept him out of the Wolves game. I'd be surprised if Lukaku starts. I think we're going to try and go with pace up front and try and hit Barca on the counter-attack as much as we can. And I think Lukaku just doesn't really fit with that, with that mould too well. The big decision for me is in midfield, whether you go with McTominay in midfield after his great performance against Wolves. I would be very tempted tempted to do so, honestly. I was talking to um, some people on Twitter about this and, you know... Realistically, I don't think the Matic has earned his place in the side at the moment. He has been very, very poor since he came back from injury. And McTominay has done really well whenever he's been called upon. In whatever role he's been asked to, to, to perform, he has performed it so, so well. And I would ve- be very, very tempted to give him a go in midfield. Because on the basis of what we've seen in the last few weeks, he is our best option in there over Matic at the moment. So I would go with McTominay in midfield. At the back, I'd expect our kind of standard back four at this point of Young, small, uh, Young, Smalling, Lindelof. And sure, don't have any major problems with that. I think as much as I prefer Darlow in general over Young, I do think that Young's experience will probably help against Barcelona and the occasion might be slightly too big for Darlow. Although it also wouldn't surprise me to see Darlow being started uh, as a right winger instead of Lingard to maybe add a little bit more defensive protection down that side. Although I hope that we don't do that I hope that we do be a little bit more positive with the team selection and go with the front three of Lingard, Martial and Rashford. But whatever whatever team we play, once that final once that first whistle goes at Old Trafford, it's just going to be a really memorable night whatever happens. Moving on to the youth loan and women's roundup. There was no game for United's women's team this week, uh, their last result being the one that I told you about last week, the 5-1 win over Spurs. They'll be back in action next week as they continue their quest to win the Women's Championship. United's under-18s and under-23s were both in action, however. The under-23s were held to a 1-0 draw at Old Trafford against West Brom. Marcus Rojo and Andreas Pereira both had a run-out for 45 minutes at Old Trafford. Nishan Burkhart's uh, goal in the 20th minute gave United the lead before a Wes Hoolahan penalty in the second half, paid United back and it would stay 1-1 until the end. The under-18s were also in action as they suffered a heartbreaking 3 all draw at home against Sunderland at Carrington. They were 3-1 up in the 79th minute before Sunderland got one back to make it 3-2, before Sunderland equaliser in the 98th minute paid United back and meant that it was two draws for both of United's youth teams this week. Meanwhile, it was an incredibly quiet week for United's lone players as all of Joe, Joel Pereira, Timothy fossey Mensa, Cameron Borthwick-Jackson and James Wilson all failed to get onto the pitch this week, as they were all either unused subs or not even in the squad for their respective loan clubs. So a very quick loan section this week, meaning we can move swiftly on to a couple of questions to end the episode from Twitter. The first question is from Sean at El uh, nice pun there Sean, who asked, with all the mad potential United 11s rolling about for next season, who do you think are realistic targets for the club over the summer? There are two players that, that have been talked about a lot um, in the press in the last few weeks, and this will be t- this should be taken with a big pinch of salt because we all know, we've all seen that the press don't actually know it as much as they like to make out. But the two that seem to have been talked about a lot are Jaden Sancho and Khalidu Koulibaly. Now, I would be over the moon with getting both of those. I think they're both very good targets. Sancho has obviously proven his worth both for Dortmund and for England in, in the last sort of four or five months with uh, some brilliant performances. And not gonna lie, getting one over on uh, on City with bringing in Sancho after he was sold by City would be would feel good to put to put it mildly. Um, you know, getting one over on them a little bit. Kula Bali is a centre back that I absolutely love any time I watch Napoli not not that I watch Napoli every week I have to say uh, but every time I watch Napoli I'm so impressed with Koulibaly defensively he's so solid and he's so calm on the ball I think he would be a very good signing for us I would also like to see us try and um, make a move for Matthias De Ligt but it does not like Barcelona are, are the clear favourites to sign him realistically I would expect us to bring in three to four first team players that are expected to start next season I think whether it's Sancho and Koulibaly, I don't know, but I think right mid and centre-back definitely are the two areas that are kind of the most pressing that need to be sawed, and I would be very happy with those two. I think they are they are kind somewhat realistic, more so Koulibaly. Dortmund's president has come out and said recently that there is no amount of money that would make them sell Jadon Sancho, but we've seen a lot of club presidents and managers say that in the past about different players and then not actually live up to their word. You know, when... When you've got 80-90 million on the table in front of you, it's very hard to turn that down. Especially since Dortmund as a, as a team, and definitely not a team on the way up, I would say at the moment, just got hammered again in uh, Der Klassiker this season against Bayern at the weekend. So I think Sancho could definitely be tempted. I think with enough money, Dortmund could be tempted to sell. Koulibaly, I think, is definitely a, a realistic option. Looking at, I think, the third position where we really need uh, some reinforcements is central midfield. Whether Ander Herrera leaves or not, I think we need at least one central midfielder. If Herrera is to leave, then we need another one. Uh, a, a name that's been talked about a lot is Ndombele at Lyon, um, who I think would be a, a, a realistic option for us. It's going to cost a lot based on his age, um, but I do think it's someone that, that we could potentially be looking at. There haven't really been too many links to midfielders um, so far. so It's kind of hard to say the kind of players that we, that we would be targeting. I just hope that they are players relatively young players that would would give us a chance to grow with maybe an older more experienced player to come in as, as sort of a squad player uh, and not someone that we would be expecting to start every week and finally the second question comes in from EK Yegoala who asks if United finish outside the top four would that mean our old grumpy girlfriend referring to Mourinho was right all along this squad just isn't good enough to compete at the highest level now I would say that in that sense, Mourinho is right. I don't think this squad is good enough to compete at the highest level. I do think it's good enough to compete for top four and get top four. I don't think we are the fifth or sixth worst squad in the Premier League. I'd probably put us third or fourth behind City and Liverpool and probably up there with, with Spurs. However, I, I do think Mourinho had a point that this squad isn't good enough to be competing for the league and for, for the Champions League. But does that make Mourinho right in more in a more general sense no because just because the squad isn't amazing he did not doesn't mean that he got the most out of it as we've seen ever since Solskjaer came in we've played so much better and Mourinho was a massive part of the reason why we were failing so badly during his last season so I think yes and no to your question EK yes Mourinho is right this squad isn't good enough to compete at the highest level if by the highest level you mean Champions League and league titles because it is good enough to be fighting for top four 100% but no Mourinho wasn't right that you know coming sixth was all that he could get with this squad because this squad is capable of far more than that and that's what we're seeing now Mourinho was Mourinho was just not getting the best out of this squad in any way there was there probably wasn't a single player that you'd say was playing at their best under Mourinho and that's a pretty serious indictment of of a manager. And that's, that's all that I really have to say. I don't really want to <laughs> relive the Mourinho era uh, too often. Now, that is all that we have time for on this episode of the Manchester United Weekly Podcast. I hope you all enjoyed it. I hope you're all getting very, very excited for the Barcelona game. I know I am, uh, and I'm just hoping for, you know, a memorable night at Old Trafford that will hopefully... Go some way to reliving that glorious night in 2008 when we actually did beat Barcelona over two legs in the semi-final on our way to winning in Moscow. So here's hoping we can replicate something like that. Thank you all very much for listening. I do hope you enjoyed. As always, please leave us a rating and a review on iTunes if you can. If you want to hear more from me, you can follow me on Twitter at utd_tait. T a i t. You can follow Harry at Harry Robinson 64 to hear more about what he's getting up to in South America. And if you want to follow the podcast itself, that is at UTD Weekly Pod. That's P-O-D at the end there. Thank you all very much for listening and roll on Wednesday night. Goodbye.